0: Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the OSINT Bunker podcast. It's a fairly busy one today here with uh John, aka Defensky, Jordan, aka uh, Intel Air and C, of course, uh Intel Doge and uh Kyle Glenn, and then myself, OSINT Technical. Um, we sort of have a lot to talk about this week, um, you know, understandably, I guess. Uh, Russia Ukraine is obviously still probably at the top of our list. There were some developments today on the diplomatic side of things, um. I think we also wanted to hit on uh whatever the heck CSG 22 is going to be. Um we got some more information from the Ministry of Defense and that's uh given us a good indication of what it's going to look like and and boy, it's it's pretty big. Um was there anything else you guys wanted to hit on this week?
1: I think we I'm not be... sure. What else you guys got?
2: Iran and the ongoing sort of situation with the discussions in Vienna and sort of the direction that seems to be headed at the moment, particularly from Israel's perspective. Yeah, and the I'm
0: the current say. insane alert level that Iranian air defenses are uh, on right now, resulting in some firing uh, at shadows. Yeah, fairly fairly interesting incidents.
2: <laughs> Still, at least they haven't managed to shoot at Cyprus yet. That's um one that's only Syria, I think, has <laughs> ever. Yeah, more more Sa-5s being launched across the border. That's
0: that's that's mainly what I expect at this point. Um, that's the Syrian specialty. Yeah, that's true. Um, so let's just start on Russia at this point. So um, I think the big news today um, is the new State Department uh, travel warning um, for Ukraine. Uh, it, it's still so it still has the level four coronavirus advisory, <sighs> which it's you know been for a while. But interestingly, it also has now a, um, a level four travel warning specifically related to uh, the potential for Russian aggression. Um, specifically, it says reports that Russia is planning for a significant military ac- action against Ukraine. Um, conditions are unpredictable and could deteriorate with little notice. I think that's pretty interesting um, that the State Department has now sort of issued this official um, warning to U.S. citizens potentially traveling to Russia. It's it's very clear what they think the possibility is at this point. A- at this point, I guess it, news has been, or the at least mainstream news has been far more on top of this than I guess the Department of State has been in communicating to uh, uh, people in the area. So uh, it's it's very interesting, and and it also does seem to the. Um, The wording is sort of interesting in the warning, as it specifically targets the fact that um, uh, in the in the warning, it specifically cites the fact that news organizations are reporting the danger. So it's just they haven't really, um, I guess, harped on the warnings that the U.S. has produced internally itself, um, but more relying on you know just general news chatter at the moment indicates that there are increased threats from russia um so that's that's just sort of an interesting thing i'm seeing from them
1: absolutely and it it seems like this is the uh the first kind of like major diplomatic statement to come from the united states that kind of indicates um you know some kind of possible action the fact that they're quoting media outlets is, is pretty interesting though because it's not necessarily the U.S. quoting their own intelligence. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. And, and additionally, it sort of seems like the State Department's off in their own little quarter. I mean, Biden over a week ago had a freaking conference with Putin specifically about Ukraine. So it just, it, I don't know. Is is the State Department sort of in their own walled garden for stuff like this? Because, I, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to say, you know, or it it. it It wouldn't be a new thing to say, you know, U.S. uh, uh, intelligence has indicated that, you know, Russia is preparing or Russia may be planning for significant military action against Ukraine. Um, It's very interesting that they just cite generic sort of reports. Um, So it's it's interesting. It it definitely, um, I guess, plays down, I guess, the significance or the the potential um, but it's it's just uh, it's it's weird.
3: I mean, it's, I guess it... it's a big thing to claim, isn't it, from the State Department that you know um Russia is you know, on the verge of invading another sovereign nation. I mean, I, I guess they wouldn't have released a statement like that lightly just based on random news reports. Obviously they're combining that with their own intelligence to make that statement otherwise, you know, they'd be changing. They'd be changing their alerts constantly based on what they were seeing on Twitter, or based on what Alana's just posting, whatever. You know, about whatever conflicts across the globe. They obviously don't go entirely on on news reports. All right. So, um, are we going
0: over under in the next two weeks of the uh, State Department citing
3: an OSINT Twitter account? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I don't know. It's bound to happen at some point, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I think well, that's clearly have... what it is. We
1: had Conflicts W. Conflicts W, he was, uh, quote, tweeted by John Bolton like two or three times That's whenever he was still a uh, national security advisor. So at this
0: oh, point, that, I don't know. That, that period was fairly insane.
1: That was interesting. That was uh, Venezuela when Venezuela was really popping off. Oh, yeah. Two years ago. Yeah. And it, it's I mean, nice it,
2: it... as Well, remembering that. The US intelligence picture that we know of, it, admittedly the information is now a couple of weeks old, but the last that we heard from the US intelligence sort of community was that their opinion of Russia's build-up was that an invasion might be feasible in January of next year. Um, and obviously we've had this announcement, um, albeit from various unofficial sources in the last 24 hours. Um, that UK intelligence community is now indicating that Russia could be ready as soon as Christmas Eve and obviously we're we're recording today on the 20th of December um, so we're talking literally four days away Russia could be ready and and, and could potentially strike if if this <laughs> UK Intel is is correct
0: yeah I mean I think the what it's sort of come down to between uh, the movement that I've seen of troops and what we know still remains, uh, near the Russian border at the or near the Ukrainian border at this point is, is probably something like, I don't know, 50 or 60 battalion tactical groups. Um, that's that's what? Uh, it's like
1: 200 or 300 per,
0: I think? Yeah, I mean, no, no. Will you be looking at, yeah, somewhere around probably 2,000 tanks right now, um, you know, more or less the same amount of armored personnel carriers, uh, probably close to, I don't know, I would ballpark <laughs> it at around... 80 to 90 thousand troops at this point. Um, that's just from what I've seen. We are seeing somewhat the um, infrastructure to uh, 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 supply them. Uh, we, we have seen a lot of supply trains moving around, um, and we also have seen sort of this build up at various training grounds. Um, I mean, I definitely think if they were trying to do not just a smaller scale, but but even some sort of larger scale extended mission into, um, uh, into Ukraine, um, they have the troops on the ground in position to do that. I would say now, at this point, what we'd mainly be waiting to see is, and I think would be a very big warning sign, is the movement of aviation assets mm. um, into the area. Those honestly can – those would have – I mean, you'd be looking at a three to five day timeline for those to travel down from their home bases further north into the east and get into, you know, forward bases and have their uh, munitions and other supplies sort of armed and ready to go. So that's sort of your sign that the, the Russians are being more aggressive to move. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone right now is really checking. um activity via satellite images of Russian bases, at least that I know of um, in the open source intelligence sphere right now. Um, But it would most likely start with reports of increased movement from people on the ground in Russia. Um, And then you would most likely be able to verify it over the next 24 hours by various uh, satellite, commercial satellite passes. Obviously, the U.S. would have uh, much quicker um, or much sooner or, yeah, earlier intelligence reports than than would be available commercially. But you would probably have that commercial intelligence out there in 24 hours. Um, so, you know, by the time we know that Russia's moving aircraft in, into position, uh, you know, you'd be looking at, at, at earliest a, a two to three day timeline um, for any potential action. Um, and and it would be fairly expensive for them to stage aircraft. That That's not a cheap... Um, endeavor. so you know based on the size of the movement and and how it's you know being deployed, that would be a pretty good indicator that something is imminent. Um, I haven't really seen any indication that um, uh, NATO uh, uh, awox aircraft um, are really moving into the Ukrainian region again. Um, we have seen some NATO missions over eastern uh, Poland looking at uh, Belarus. And we have seen some NATO missions over uh, Turkey um, in the past uh, month or so. Um, so if NATO was trying to watch Russian aircraft, I would expect those um, AWOX aircraft to move in a bit closer as well. That that would also potentially be a sign. Um,
3: also, there not one uh, over Romania in the last couple of days? I was it a, an AWOX aircraft? I'm, I'm sure so, it was. I'm sure someone on Twitter... Is you...
4: There's usually a, there's usually a NATO AWACS aircraft often operates around the Black Black Sea, and also Turkey occasionally deploy a wedge tail AWACS to Romania as part of in, uh, support measures given to Romania post the invasion of uh, Crimea. Yeah, I'll be
3: there, Len.
0: I, I know we've seen um, at least publicly available on ADSB <laughs> um, those missions over uh, Turkey, and because I, I I know there are NATO um, E three Bs posted uh, uh to turkey right now um and there are also of course your uh nato uh e3 based in um uh, uh luxembourg i believe or not like Lu- it they're might based be luxembourg in Ge- right based in
4: germany but they've got
0: luxembourg re- registrations yeah. gotcha okay um so that's that's what you're looking at right now um but you you may see additional uh different assets moving into the the region as things sort of or if things heat up as well um But definitely satellite imagery will be one of the best ways for us to confirm uh, any sort of movement, both with, um, of course, your SAR radar and um, uh, other types of optical. I mean, at least it's better for um, imaging satellites because aircraft are big. Um, That would make it slightly easier to see general movement um, into uh, various air bases in the region.
3: Yeah, Yeah, there was movement. uh, Sorry, I was going to say the the interesting thing to me is, um, you know, satellite imagery does show a lot of build up in, in Crimea and in military base in Crimea, it shows a lot of build-up um on Ukraine's eastern border, um and as well in, on their northern border. But as I'm sure you've all seen on Twitter recently, there's been a lot of videos, or at least an increase of videos, of Russian convoys um close to the Belarusian border, um in the Bryansk region. Um and for sort of the life of me, <laughs> I've been looking on like Sentinel and on, on, on trying to find where these if there's like a base there I can't find anything. And there's been a lot of videos of not small convoys kind of passing through these small villages very close to the Belarusian border, less than 100 kilometers, less than 50 kilometers from the border in a lot of cases. Um, And, you know, you have to assume they're kind of staging somewhere in that region. You know, I don't think they're crossing the border just yet because I think we might have seen that. We might have seen videos from Belarus of like Russian convoys moving across. So I'm assuming they're still in Russia somewhere, albeit very close to the border. But um, recently, SIR imagery, it shows no kind of large build-up. So either they kind of stage in some way where there's a lot of interference anyway, like that part of the country is very heavily forested, um, and I found that causes a lot of interference with, like, the satellite imagery. It's very difficult to tell what's genuine kind of urban areas and what's just a bunch of trees causing issues. Um, or they've learned that all us nerds are doing this <laughs> and looking for their bases. And they, they have, you know, maybe several small bases instead of one big one um, well, to not stand out as much.
0: The Russians are known for sort of... Uh screwing around with uh, uh twitter um we we've all known the adsb spoofing um, oh my gosh Sorry, not definitely something directly targeted at uh osint accounts and and ship um tracking accounts in order to um i guess create a temporary narrative or um mm-hmm. you know screw with us i guess directly Um, you know makes me kind of feel important in a weird way (laughs) That you know the 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 russians specifically want to screw with you but um i i guess you would see an increase in disinformation um leading up to any sort of uh attack or uh, again because we don't like i mean we don't heavily screen the stuff that we post Uh, there's there's only so much that we can do so you know there there is a risk that we can you know fall into these traps of, I guess, broadcasting what a foreign government wants us to see instead of what's actually happening. I know we try to be critical about these things, but uh, there, there's only so much we can do. There's there's only so much we can incorporate, you know, into our information stream. Um, And, you know, it, it's unknown what the possibilities are, what foreign governments could do. I mean, we didn't really think that, you know they would start spoofing adsb positions on nato military warships and then they did so it's just AIS
4: position. AIS position Sorry, AIS, not
0: adsb, not ADS-B. <laughs> my brain is fried right now um but y- you know it's it's something that you have to be really critical about and it's just there's only so much we can do
1: definitely and i want to kind of harp back to something real quick that I saw uh, the other day Um, in relation to in relation to Ukraine I think it's important to note the um, the movement of commercial railways and commercial airliners to uh, support the buildup that's kind of like the first big indication that uh, Russia wants to um, you know utilize some of their some of their civilian stuff to bring even more troops and even more assets and stuff like that into the area.
0: Yeah. And utilizing, utilizing civilian assets like that is when it starts to become really, really expensive for the Russian state to, uh, actually perform something like this, because when you're taking away, you know, that civilian railroad capacity or taking it away from industry and, you know, you're, you're significantly hurting your economy. Um, so if, if the Russians start doing that in any sort of scale, there's definitely an indication. Um, I guess and
1: their economy is are... already in a pretty poor state, so they can't really afford to to do stuff like that frequently yeah. or for a long period of time.
0: And actually, speaking about that, very interestingly, they've started to uh, cut back on the uh, gas supply to Europe in in a fairly significant way. Um, uh, the Moscow Times is reporting via Interfax um, that uh, we saw uh, 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 shipments through the Yamal pipeline, which goes into Germany from Russia, um, are at their lowest um, uh, for at least the past few months this weekend. So uh, there there is a very large cut in Russian gas supplies into Europe right now, and, and we've seen European gas prices surge at the same time. So... Again, I, I think I've harped on this a lot over the past, you know, few months is Russia has this very large control over how Europeans are able to get their gas for both electrical generation and heating um, over the winter. And it, it's a cold winter. You know, it, it it's cold right now. And, you know, depriving Europeans of gas is a very, very, very effective, uh, I, I, I guess, diplomatic way to get them to stay out of things. Um if you could even consider that diplomacy. Well,
4: it's a very useful tool of diplomatic pressure that Russia's got, that people keep, that it often gets discussed, but the amount of diplomatic pressure in, that Russia can use through its gas supplies is immense.
3: Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't there... know what the exact percentage is of, um, you know, how much of uh, gas Europe uses Russian. I don't know if anyone's got that on hand, or if anyone can Google that <laughs> really quickly. Um, but it's it's not an insignificant amount is it
1: uh, europe relies on russia for around 35% of its natural gas the bulk comes through pipelines including yamal which goes through belarus and poland to germany nord stream which goes directly to germany and pipelines going through ukraine yeah but uh, if you google if you google rush, russia gas supply to europe one of the one of the top things that pops up is uh, russia cutting its gas supply
3: Apparently for Estonia, Poland, Slovakia and Finland, it's more than seventy five percent comes from Russia, which is huge. Dang, that's a lot. Um, yeah, but and
1: obviously, additionally... you know,
3: Poland's having some you know, Poland and Russian tensions right now are I don't wanna say all time low because <laughs> you know, there was a period in the thirties and forties when it was a lot lower. Um but yeah, Polish and Russian tensions at the moment, well, I guess Poland Polish and Belarusian tensions, which might as well be Polish and Russian, um, are very low at the moment. So I guess that's going to be something that Poland's going to be very concerned about as well.
0: So this has also gone under the radar for the past month or two, but um, the EU also gets 8% of its gas from Algeria. Algeria, over the past month and change, has been steadily cutting its gas supply to Europe, which has actually forced Spain to start relying on uh, uh, utilizing LNG tankers to bring in gas. And Algeria is a close Russian ally.
3: Yeah, because there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, when uh, Algeria and Morocco were very close to going to war in the last few, well, last, say, six weeks. A After, drone uh, there was, yeah, there was the uh, uh, drone strike, a Moroccan drone strike that killed some Algerian citizens, wasn't there? Um, I don't remember, like, the oil supply was oil and gas players discussed quite a lot then in kind of hand-in-hand with the uh russian supply from ukraine or to do with the ukraine situation
0: yeah and, and it's again um russia if you throw algeria in there controls a bit less than half of europe's gas supply that's you know it fairly massive when you think about it um if Europe was supposed to, you know, reduce their gas consumption by half, including digging into, you know, their uh, uh, strategic reserves and even with international help through tanking liquefied natural gas in, they would still be stuck in a very precarious economic, you know, position. And it, it would be very, very hard for them to get by, which, again, it is just one of these leverage items that Russia
2: has. Mm hmm. And it's that is going to be the biggest issue for Ukraine, particularly with its its hopes of becoming a part of NATO, because Russia has the ability to split the alliance, you know, pretty much in two, because of of, of this reliance on on gas from a lot of the uh, the member states of NATO at the moment. Um, it could be That's a good point. Yeah. as simple as nations refusing to get involved in fighting for Ukraine, and it could go all the way to the extent of some of those nations closest to the Russian border turning around to the rest of NATO and saying, we're not even going to let you like fly through our airspace or drive through our towns and, and, and streets.
0: Well, the Baltic states and Poland probably won't do that. Um, just because, I mean, the Baltic states will sort of fight until they're no, till they no longer exist but I, Poland I guess is sort of the, in this economic or in this precarious position in Europe right now of you know having some political disagreements that are currently being uh, hashed out and fairly significant political disagreements with the new government there um, but I, I, I don't you have to balance that with the fact that most European Eastern European nations also have this deep deep-seated fear of potential Russian aggression and they are very very loyal to NATO um because they view that as protection from that Russian aggression and mm. you know letting Russia take a portion of Ukraine would you know put them in e- even more precarious position. so if anything, I think those Eastern European nations will be the most um willing to do something like that.
3: Yeah, I've just found um, an article. It from February sixth of uh, last year, so twenty twenty, um, and it, I just I just quickly googled it now just to see you know how favourably NATO is seen currently. Um, so uh, I'm guessing it looks like it's in a percentage scale. So eighty two percent of Polish people view NATO favourably, um, and then Lithuania seventy seven percent. Um, it doesn't look like Latvia or Estonia were surveyed in this um, but Lithuania obviously being one of the Baltic states 77% as unsurprisingly is quite high um, the lowest uh, I don't know if anyone wants to take a guess of who they think the lowest NATO member that might have the worst view of NATO might be
4: uh, I'm going to say is it
3: Turkey or somebody, or somebody like France no, it is Turkey. Yeah, twenty-one percent. Twenty-one percent of people in Turkey have a favorable view of NATO. Uh, France, forty-nine. Spain, forty-nine. Um, and then everyone else is between fifty and seventy. Really. Um, hmm. Yeah. So it seems like you know Poland and you know the Baltic states. Obviously, they've got a very favorable view of of NATO. Um, but you know, uh, like, like was mentioned, if it comes to a point of allowing Ukraine into NATO, or you know, losing gas over winter. I don't think they're going to choose <laughs> you know Ukraine overheating their homes personally.
4: The domestic political consequences for the individual leaders of the NATO countries would simply just be too would be. I think they would see it as too great of a risk. Mm-hmm. can't really turn around to your citizens and say, oh, look, we've added Ukraine into NATO. Oh, sorry, you're going to have to sit in the cold for the next four months.
3: No, exactly. And I, and I don't know what kind of backup plans, um, you know, the EU or European nations have in the event of Russia just turning the tap off suddenly. Um, again, it's not an area I'm particularly well read on, so I honestly can't comment. But um, I don't know if anyone knows a little bit more or not, because it's, it's quite a niche thing to know about, but I don't know how well we would fear, or how long before we'd be major issues if suddenly Russia stopped the flow of natural gas into Europe.
1: I think. Well, wasn't very- it, there was there was uh, you said there were I can't remember the exact three countries, I believe it was Finland and two other countries, that it's like 75%, so maybe not the overall entirety of Europe, but definitely seems like there could be an impact to, like, specific countries mm-hmm. in that specific event.
3: Yeah, no, and I think it's like, uh, as John has said, that, uh, you know, it could definitely split the alliance um, between the countries that aren't as reliant on Russian gas and the ones that are, um, you know, it could definitely cause a rift within NATO if Russia decided to go that route.
1: Oh, definitely. That, that's an interesting... Uh interesting hypothesis
3: so that was that was John I wasn't I uh, wasn't me I just want to take credit for that one
1: <laughs> no it's not one that I thought about not, not one that I've thought of before though so that's that's an interesting way to think about
3: that definitely no it definitely is it wasn't one I considered able uh anything else on Ukraine
1: I don't know if there's too much else to add we kind of touched on everything there. Touched on the uh, build-up. Touched on the satellite imagery. All
3: that. Uh,
0: there was a statement.
3: Be, oh.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't talk about how this could still be an economic feint by Russia in order to put pressure on uh, NATO and mm-hmm. Ukraine at the same time. Uh, Interesting. It, it, it is a possibility. Yeah,
3: they, they, I mean, an invasion isn't a you know a foregone conclusion by any means. You know, it's. It's not definitely going to happen, and obviously we all hope it doesn't happen. You know, we all hope it's all just saber rattling. Um, but as things stand, you, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of troops moved in, a lot of uh, vehicles moved in, a lot of logistics moved in, which is again, I think I always say, is a more worrying thing. You know, you you can you can send hundreds and hundreds of tanks all you like, but if you've got no fuel then they're not going to go anyway um so there's yeah. been quite a lot lot of you know large logistics convoys moved in as well with no I know back in March and April they used the excuse of um planned exercises um and they're not even they're not even pretending that there's exercises this time which I think again is another concerning thing you know they're not even pretending that they're there for any genuine reason that Evelyn mm-hmm. learned to threaten another sovereign state you know they, they they've just moving them in as a direct threat um yeah
0: and it's interesting because at the time we thought those exercises were more concentrated on crimea um mm-hmm. which if you looked back at, at april and i did that a few days ago i looked back at all the tweets all the you know reporting it was super focused on crimea potential amphibious action across the Kerch Strait. um yeah and it's definitely a lot different now when you look at it. It's much more focused on the North, which indicates that any sort of offensive would have to be. So, um, which I guess it, it is sort of, you know, the Russian way to do it. If, if you're going to do something, do it completely. Um, you know, don't take half measures.
3: Yeah. there's a And you definitely, yeah. So I remember, yeah, March and April, it was definitely, um, Crimea-focused. There wasn't a lot of talk about anything else. There was um, that Russian training camp on the northern border, which name is escaping me. I know it begins with a P. Someone else might know it. Um uh, yeah. Po- um, Pogonovo, or Pogonovo, or Pogonovo—one Pogonovo of
0: those. Is the one that uh, the lookout keeps tweeting about. I'll attach his. Uh, po- on
1: Pogonovo. That. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but
3: it's it's like Pogonovo yeah. or something like that. But that was the one that was absolutely rammed with um, armored vehicles, wasn't it? Back in March and April, and there has been a build-up there this time, but not as much. Um, a lot of the build-up seems to be on the. Um, eastern ukrainian border so in like a rostov region of russia um and also in crimea again um and again as i mentioned earlier as well looking kind of close to the belarusian border um of which lukashenko he's been weirdly quiet over the last days and last yeah, couple of weeks he
1: has. That, that whole uh, which area is, is kind of like quieted
3: yeah because he it, kind of he, he was, kind of like you know like tom holland kind of tweeting spoilers all the time he kind of seemed to be he was saying a bit too much that putin was wasn't happy with um because i know there's a uh a vote on the constitution in belarus early next year um and i think he explicitly said oh you know well if there's a war the vote won't happen and everyone was like well why do you think there's going to be a war <laughs> kind of thing like what a random thing to say yeah. um and then he said that you know there's, there's gonna be something big happening in the new year." Um, obviously, Russia and Belarus have been getting a lot closer recently. That might just be, I don't know, some kind of I don't want to say a merging of the two countries into like in some kind of you know into a into new Soviet Union. Um, but things are definitely kind of going that way, aren't they? There's there's been rumours of that for a long time that Russia has been getting more and more influence over Belarus, and Belarus has been signing away more and more independence to Russia. Um he feels like a like a puppet state at this point. Yeah. yeah, and it absolutely is.
2: And Lukashenko has actually been very blatant and clear that part of the plan long term is for Belarus to become a part of the Russian Federation. And that's that's mm-hmm. the whole point of this referendum that's supposed to be taking place. Um, oh really is that what it's about I believe it was supposed to be late January it's effectively asking the people of Belarus if they are happy to become a part of the Russian Federation um and at the moment it's the, the, the early indications from the early sort of polling although whether whether you believe the polls in whose <laughs> elections are somewhat rigged um the early indications are that the the Belarusian people will actually vote to join the Russian Federation um so we could very well in the new year see Belarus cease to exist as an independent state. And depending on how serious Russia is, we could see Ukraine cease to exist, albeit for a very, very different reason.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. that, that would be a pretty uh, pretty interesting turn of events if that were to happen. If we would have two countries kind of merge into into Russia, one semi-willingly and one not so willingly. 22 yeah, shaping up to be a pretty interesting year.
0: I'm I'm fairly sure the the Belarusian people will um be slightly less uh, appreciative of a measure mostly taken by the government.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, I think we should probably move on at this point to uh CSG22 and the the very confusing news around it one that i don't think any of us have actually worked out if the mark so
4: with queen elizabeth now back at hms queen elizabeth now back in portsmouth the royal navy put out some communications to discuss for the next deployment of a carrier strike group which they said is going to happen next year and from the marketing material a lot of us have it seemingly indicates that prince of wales in and queen elizabeth are to, to deploy together hmm we do know Prince of Wales is due to go to America for its um, F-35 trials so it'll be working with F-35s and lanterns off the coast of America next year so whether or not it deploys
2: twice or not is yet to be seen Yeah, I, yeah, I and I was um, going to say I, I, I think... at the minute what we've got at the moment is Queen Elizabeth, although uh, the ship has returned to port and obviously the crew are now enjoying a, a very well-deserved rest over over Christmas, having been deployed for the last several months. Um, what we are sort of being told is that HMS Queen Elizabeth is still being kept at a sort of state of high readiness so that should she suddenly need to be deployed urgently in sort of the next couple of months, she is actually in a position where they can pretty much land the F-35s again Get a couple of escorts together and set off to sea for whatever needs there might be. Now, some you could you could potentially look at that and say, well, okay, maybe that's the UK bearing in mind that while the carriers are in are in port at the minute, you know, we are potentially entering the the more volatile months um, in 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 sort of the last year or so. Um, particularly, you know, in light of what we've just discussed about Russia and Ukraine. Um, I'd very much doubt that we would end up deploying HMS Queen Elizabeth in the event of some sort of uh, Russian invasion or, or Russian attack on Ukraine, but we don't know, and they've, the MOD's been very, very clear that the ship is being held at high readiness um, rather than sort of, you know, just being left as is with the crew taking... Uh, appropriate rest. Um, we know the ship is currently undergoing some sort of repair work, obviously in light of seven months of operational activities, um, so there's been photos that have emerged of, of the ski ramp on board the, the carrier um, undergoing some uh, maintenance, um, obviously being probably one of the more uh, important aspects of the carrier deck, um, particularly when it comes to the, the F-35's operations. Um, but yeah in in terms of the the whole carrier strike group 22 um as as jordan said um they've sort of indicated that both carriers will deploy together and that has obviously been met with a lot of surprise uh, as jordan mentioned because prince of wales is due to go to the US um sometime in the first half of next year to go and carry out F35 trials of its own um, it was just that it was that what well, it was that graphic that they had released at the time. It had
4: the two carriers and with announcing of the deployment, and that's just got a lot of people thinking that. Judging by that, that seems to suggest that they're deploying
0: together.
1: Here, I can, I can, I actually have that graphic. If it'll pop up up here, I can drop that in the chat.
2: Yeah, and I'll it's...
0: I'll throw it up on the screen, but um. It, it for those of you listening on podcast platforms it basically just has the two carriers um in a in the graphic indicating that you know there'll be more to come in 2022 with a you know CSG2022 or CSG22 deployment but I, I think one of the big questions is one um the crews of the queen elizabeth and the associated escorts have i mean they they were at sea for months upon months and are are most likely you, you know not worn out but obviously you know things happen while well, ships are at seas major see major maintenance needs to happen um and you know rushing stuff out to sea quickly again you know could cause larger issues
2: um I, I, or
0: more I, issues
2: down I the think line what we need to remember is this announcement from the mod hasn't given a date it hasn't given a time frame Obviously the, the, the designation CSG22 suggests it will of course be next year and that's that's been made very, very clear, but we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily looking at a deployment at the same time as CSG21 was this year. We could potentially be looking at a deployment sort of September, October, November time of 2022. As was going to also see potentially it. being deployed over Christmas 2022 into 2023. I was going to say, it
4: could also be another fine example of the MOD being terrible at communications.
0: Yeah, that's that's the other option, and most likely the, mo- the, the, the most likely one as well, Um, because I don't think any of, I mean, I, I know a number of people have tried to reach out to the MOD to get clarification, and the MOD has been fairly radio silent on what they meant.
1: I know George Allison did. He said that he tried to reach out to the MOD for a little bit more clarification, but I don't know if he's updated. Anybody yet?
0: Uh, I on, uh, last response? time I talked to George, he had gotten nothing. So yeah, oh, lovely. Yep. So, again, who knows at this point?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's, but it will be interesting, and, and and if we do indeed see, um, both carriers sailing together, and and obviously it remains to be seen where they'll be deployed. Will they follow? The same route as CSG21 did, um, going through the Mediterranean out to sort of Indo-Pacific, uh, and particularly looking at eyeing up China as it sails past. Uh, that that remains to be seen. Um, we could very well see maybe both carriers deploy going the opposite way around the, ro- around the world this time. Maybe they'll go uh, and visit the states and then make their way round to the pacific uh, by a different route um, and potentially you know we, we could very well see them joining in in uh, in, in one of the rim pack ex- exercises should that return to uh return to operations in in in, in the next year yeah and so I think possibly, I think possibly have... a dumb
1: question but um real quick do we know where the uh, ships are going to go when they come to the United States
0: no. Um, um, um all we know is that at least the last time when Queen Elizabeth did workups, um, it was off of Norfolk. Um so I'm assuming the Prince of Wales would also be visiting Norfolk as well. What's the
4: there's an airbase down there, a Naval Air Station where they've got a bunch of F-35s?
0: Uh yes, uh Naval Air Station, um uh, why am I it, totally blanking on the name right now? Uh no it's like... not pax river it's um uh it's naval naval air station oceana um oh, yeah. yeah that's the that's the one in norfolk um that you're most likely gonna see uh operations out of because we know that's the one that was used when pavor was doing uh her f-35 um workups as well um so at, at at this point most likely uh that's that's the one place we're fairly sure we'd see the prince of wales make a showing. Um. So they also have the peer infrastructure as well to deal with um, uh, Prince of Wales as well.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I might probably, have to. Uh, I might have to try and keep updated on that so I can figure out when they're going to be coming over here. That's not a dro- terribly far drive.
4: They'll probably drop into Florida because the dro- eh, Queen Elizabeth dropped into Florida last time they were over. Hmm.
1: Now that's a far drive. <laughs> that's like <laughs> sixteen hours. <laughs> not sure it's worth it.
0: Yeah, now I now I have to actually look this up. Um Yep, September 17th, 2018. Um was when uh HMS Queen Elizabeth visited Norfolk for her um workups. I was going to say another thing that it could
4: potentially be that has been mentioned about the double carriers is that is that just them joining together and working on an um, exercise Joint Warrior around Scotland together?
0: Hmm. True. And it would be nice if the M.O.D. gave some clarification. Cough, cough. Anyone's <laughs> listening to this, please, for the love of Christ.
2: Please, um, we know there's a good number of you from the M.O.D. who do listen to this, so, um, yeah. We know who something, you are. Just give us now, something, <laughs> a
1: little crumb, a little
0: crumb of information. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be nice if we could get some clarification, but, you know, I, I wouldn't expect it. But at this point, hey, um, I guess we'll see it when we see it.
2: Yeah, and uh, do do we want to move on now and uh, maybe sort of give some discussion to um, the ongoing Iran nuclear talks and sort of Israel's reactions to that at the moment?
3: I think we can just go back to the start one second. We were talking about Belarus. Just one quick thing. Um, So the referendum next year, um, is apparently one that was promised after he didn't step down after the last elections. So he said, um, uh. "If if you allow me to stay in power, we'll have a referendum on the on the constitution um, early next year, which apparently will have some kind of framework on him handing over power when he kind of sees fit." Um, and I found an article again in which he, you know he said the very ominous words that we'll have a referendum unless the war starts. He didn't say a war. He said war. Um, which is, you know, really, really ominous. Um, uh, and then he kind of backtracked, apparently, and said, "Oh, you know, but even that's probably fantasy." So, I, again, whether it was a slip of the tongue or uh, I, I don't think he's so stupid to just kind of, um, you know, reveal plans for a war, you know, months in advance. But
1: uh, yeah, I remember knows. who we're talking <laughs> about here.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, true. it is Lukashenko. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but no, sorry, we can go back to Iran. I just wanted to get that in before I, uh, before I forgot about it.
2: Yeah, so um, Iran. Um, so obviously at the start of December, um, Iran came back to Vienna um, for further talks with the US and the EU um, regarding some sort of return to a nuclear agreement. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is not only has there been pretty much no progress um particularly from what sort of the the eu and, and us ambassadors have been saying um but we've also kind of seen iran um kind of almost setting ultimatums and 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 sort of drawing new lines as to where it's prepared to go um while we've also had this whole uh, issue with um, the international atomic energy agency pretty much turning around and saying yeah, Iran is now enriching weapons-grade uranium, um, and they're not letting us into their facilities at all anymore.
0: Yeah, we and, and we... Saw... We know, ahead, we know the cameras are back at um, one of the facilities, um, even though they didn't turn over the tapes from the one that had supposedly been destroyed in the sabotage attempt. Um, so the, the IAEA is definitely slightly angry at that, Um but I mean, at this point, the it's fairly clear what the Iranians are trying to do.
2: I mean, you know, <laughs> ultimately, to they me, are just stalling for time at this point, and and absolutely. We kind of knew that a long while back, and we and we were, I think, all all five of us were quite vocal about that for several months, and for whatever reason, um, particularly U.S. diplomats, I think it was, um, seemed to be very blind to this and, and 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 very keen to just try and push for a diplomatic solution to everything and i think they are now kind of at the point where they're recognizing that that's not working um and they've they they've been had ultimately um and and same with the eu officials who are still trying to fight against the idea of sanctions against iran um it's appeasement at the end of the day isn't it and, and and we all know how that went for um a certain British prime minister in the 1930s
1: yeah and um to me it just kind of feels like uh, these these Vienna talks are pretty much the the absolute last straw like if these talks fail which it seems like at this point is kind of a a, a likelihood. Um, I think we will see. I think we'll see Iran push for ninety uh, percent enrichment. Um, I think the only thing pushing them back at this point is the fact that Vienna talks are still somewhat alive. There's still somewhat of a hope left, but I feel like a big indicator of talks collapsing will be Iran pushing for for higher enrichment. Because really, once they get ninety percent enrichment, that's that's pure weapons grade. They can they can actively pursue a nuclear weapon at that point and probably get it pretty quickly. Hmm. So definitely, definitely, ninety percent is like if they go there, it's kind of hard to go back from that.
2: And and we need to remember that with Re- Iran, um, it, it's a different ball game to North Korea because. Iran has the missile technology already, it, it doesn't need to develop the necessary missiles for those warheads like North Korea did Iran has that missile technology it, it has arguably some of the best um, indigenous missile tech in that part of the world um, exactly, so and they, it doesn't they've, they've got the missile, does... they just need the
1: warheads now Exactly. And it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be anything super fancy because it's I mean, ultimately, they're not going to be trying to pursue like an ICBM right away Mm. because stuff like that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. They just need something that's going to be like a like a, you know, like a medium range ballistic missile or something like that, because ultimately their their target is, of course, going to be Israel. And don't forget too crazy for that.
0: This hasn't been an issue that the uh, North Koreans have run into, and they are um, very much associated with the current Iranian program. Um, Miniaturizing a warhead to fit in a missile is extremely difficult. Um, And so most early nuclear threats would most likely be either um, uh, bomber-based, based based out of Syria. Um, We know the Iranians have very close... uh, relations with them or uh, maybe even another form, some sort of, uh, uh ro- road, mobile, um, nuclear weapon. Um, mm. so I, I think that's the main early risk. Um, at, at this point, you know, there there really are questions about whether or not or what the time frame would be for the Iranians acquiring a, a warhead they could put on an ICBM. So I still I still think that that alone with the issues the North Koreans have had is probably more than 10 years away. Um, But, you know, well, I, I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, there's not. Only one specific way to deploy a, a nuclear weapon. I mean, not to reference something that's super super old now, but uh, the U.S. at one point had a, a Jeep nuke, which was literally like a a Willy's Jeep with a a recoilless um, rifle thing attached to the back of it that would fire a little tactical nuke, and it it, it worked. I mean, there were there's there's video of it um, on YouTube if you look it up of actual like testing of it and it worked it was able to to fire this little little nuke and i mean it worked so there's not only one specific way
0: i think as of right now the iranians would probably be limited to a gun type device um which is inherently uh more sensitive to disturbances and um is much larger that that's the main thing it's a very large weapon so unless the Iranians wanted to use something like I don't know, their their current space launch platform, um, to potentially hoist a very, very large nuclear warhead. Um, a I guess a non-miniaturized version towards Israel, they could do that, but it, it would be difficult and be very obvious um before any sort of launch.
1: Yeah, here. I'm gonna drop a drop a video here in chat for you guys and If you want to throw a link on screen or whatever, that's what I was referencing. Little baby, little baby nuke. Little baby nuke.
3: Is it a thing that kind of looks like it's out of uh, Fallout? Is that what I'm thinking Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah,
1: it looks like something out of Fallout.
0: I mean,
3: the little recoilless rifle.
0: The 50s through the 70s were sort of crazy for nuclear design because of, you know the limitations and use case scenarios that were thought of i mean the special atomic demolition munitions were literally backpack nukes that um literally special forces would sneak into you know europe or, or eastern there Europe during go. uh the starting phases yeah during the starting phase a w54 like, carry bag <laughs> yep <laughs> during during the starting phase of any sort of hot war between the east and the west um special forces were supposed to travel into uh, you know, pass the front lines and target bridges with, you know, portable atomic weapons. Um, And and so, again, you would you would probably see the early um, Iranian attempts to do something like that. I think the other question right now is, do the Israelis actually have the ability um, to knock out a facility like uh, Natanz? Or do they sort of have the ability currently to disable the Iranian nuclear program?
1: I believe they have the ability to severely damage it. I feel like the the ultimate thing that is still actively preventing the Israelis from doing any kind of significant damage is the lack of um, uh, the the bunker busting bomb capabilities that mm. they don't have. It's really only like a thing that the U.S. has. So I feel like. Any kind of action against the Iranian nuclear program would need U.S. assistance. And if it didn't get U.S. assistance, they wouldn't be able to completely knock it out. But what they can do just from cyber alone.
0: I feel like yeah. shows that they can. The Iranians are definitely getting a lot more careful about air gapping um, all of their you know, facilities from the broader you know, net. So it, it is, and we we have seen this reflected. It's it's become a lot harder for the Israelis, um, to target the Iranian nuclear program with non-kinetic means, and and I think we've definitely seen that change over the past couple of years. Um, we we have seen more kinetic attacks um, versus, you know, your standard cyber attacks. But I I mean, the the big other question is, Natanz is under what you know the equivalency of a uh, hundred feet of mixed concrete and dirt the main centrifuge hole, I mean the Israelis don't have a weapon that can go through that, even with you know, tapping it multiple times with, you know, a what is the GPU uh, forgetting the name
1: of it right 57, now um, GBU-57, I think
0: uh, I, I know it's colloquial I know it's colloquial name, but you know
1: um, GBU-57 is a massive ordnance penetrator no, the, the, the that's the one GBU- that the US has
0: they, the Israelis have the GBU-28, uh, which Not is there. a 5,000-pound, yeah. Um, it's a bunker buster. But um, they don't have massive ordnance penetrators because, mm-hmm. I mean, one, they don't have a launch platform for it. Um, they, they Even if they had the bomb, they couldn't drop it. Um, and, you know, they don't have it right now. Um, and so without those weapons, it's it's very much a question of if they could knock out you know some of the more heavily uh, defended uh, uh, nuclear plants in iran um so so something interesting
1: to reference um back in april of this year there was a report that came out that natanz was hit uh with a possible attack if you guys remember that hmm. um the report with that was the facility was hit 50 meters underground i'm not sure what the conversion is to us measurements but um hmm. The the way that it was done, supposedly, was uh, through a remotely detonated device. So they might not be able to they might not be able to hit it from like the air, you know, with the with a, with a missile or anything like that. But I feel like the the methodology and the capabilities of the Mossad and, and stuff like that are really, really going to be vital in any kind of. Um, any kind of attack like that,
0: yeah. And I think the Israelis, the option because the Israelis are sort of known for stuff like this, would be a more of a conventional attack using something like you know potentially airborne forces. Um, I, I don't think that would be completely out of the question. Um, where you could potentially um see them landing forces uh inside Iran in order to physically um attack cool, the installation yeah it, it's just uh, again they have, to get, they have to get away from the issue that they can't bomb it conventionally or Absolutely. They, they need to sort of
3: work around that issue um, didn't and, uh, Israel recently announce um, like an exercise in early next year um, which they were going to fly so many thousand kilometers or whatever it was I think over the med to kind of stimulate an attack on Iranian infrastructure
0: yeah, don't they, they said do that they pretty would.
1: pretty frequently?
0: No, no, no. Yeah, this, I, this, I, they, they went out of their way. This is getting special funding. This is, you know. Oh, they they're, confirmed they're it. And full all that. length. Yeah, they're doing full mm-hmm. length training. Um, uh, I believe the U.S. is going to be assisting um, with at least right now. We know um, intelligence gathering stuff. Um,
1: oh. One of the big
0: one of the big pieces of news though over the past couple of weeks was the um, KC forty six order. Um, that the Israeli Air Force is still waiting on um, has been delayed. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Okay. When was Which, the yeah. when was the original when was the original date scheduled?
0: I believe 2024. I would have to double check that. Um, give yeah. me one second here. I,
2: I believe um, the Biden administration has turned around to Israel and basically said, "No, we're not going to give you the because because Israel has requested a speed up of the delivery because of what's going on with Iran." And if I remember rightly, the Biden administration basically turned around and said, no, we're not going to divert airframes destined for the U.S. Air Force to you because of the situation. You just have to wait your turn, effectively. Um, yeah, interesting. And, they and were the, Israel's issue at the minute rolled. is that their tanker fleet is comprised of the old KC-707s and yeah, it's a small old. number of KC-130s very very old it's like 60 70 year old platform
0: yeah so they won't be receiving their uh first airframe until 2024
1: that's still a long ways away
0: yeah and that is definitely a um that is definitely a delay and the whole point about the kc-46 is that it has much more capacity um than the current 707 tankers that israel has i mean it would probably allow, I don't know, 10 or more per tank, 10 or more aircraft per tanker um, to uh, uh, conduct a deep strike into Iran. Um, and that that would be a significant asset for the Israelis. Mm. Um, and, and so at this point, you know, that that real question is, you know, how would they be able to conduct an attack and would they be able to?
1: So interesting. I was reading this uh article from the Jerusalem Post. It seems like uh the defense ministry put in a request that the KC-46s be sped up yeah. after the Boeing 707 fleet was grounded. Apparently they grounded the fleet last year uh for some unknown reason. I'm not 100% sure. I think sure. It was, there
0: were there were a multitude of issues. I mean the fleet I mean, yeah they, they've never been re-engined as well
1: they uh i think they're boeing 707s yeah they're
0: they're 707s the uskc uh 135s are 707s but they've gone through several modernization modernizations yeah. including a you know complete engine refit program um over the last 20 years which has significantly brought them up to a higher standard um Whereas the Israeli tankers are still running um, effectively very old platforms, which is you know a significant issue for them. And those 707s are mostly limited to um, operations you know near Israel, whereas those Kc46s would allow them to sort of project out that ability to strike further. Mm-hmm. Um, though at, at, at this point, I mean the Israelis have sort of made it clear' they're, they're not letting Iran, they're not letting Iran acquire a nuclear weapon.
1: Absolutely. There's I mean, there's been there's a whole doctrine that Israel has adopted that surrounds preventing another country from acquiring a weapon that could. That could take out the existence of the Israeli state, so they have, you know, they have that whole doctrine that surrounds it. They they've said multiple times now that they absolutely will not let it happen. It's pretty easy to believe that that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah and I I know a lot of people don't like to hear this but but there is you know this sort of unspoken acceptance that that provision of not allowing Iran to acquire nuclear weapons also includes the potential of a nuclear first strike um conducted by Israel if they believe that there aren't any other options which again if Israel doesn't believe they have the option to eliminate the Iranian nuclear program they believe Iran is you know imminently going to acquire nuclear weapons <laughs> there, there really is a question if they couldn't conventionally um, uh, uh, attack Iranian facilities, if they would uh, utilize nuclear weapons to do so. Um, Israel
1: doesn't have nuclear weapons. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, no, they, they, they only have a bunch of long range strategic launch platforms with uh, no bombs.
1: Textile factories, bro. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, there there is this wouldn't be the first time the Israelis have used the threat of uh, nuclear attack to get the U.S. to do something. Yeah. Um, there's, 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 this... there's a famous
2: case of... Um, what was her name? Israel's female prime minister. Uh, no. Golden Mare. Golden um, um, who transmitted a code word that she knew the Americans would pick up on, which was effectively the prepare the nuclear weapons...
0: Border. Oh no no no! no. It, it's it actually is better than that. They ended up actually bringing their nuclear weapons out of the storage facilities and started readying them, parked out in the middle of the airfield, basically. So they knew that U.S. satellites would be able to see what they were doing, um, and, and that Damn. was a, that was enough of a threat to um, to get the U.S. to start. Basically, you know, this was. Uh, Lord, uh, I would have to double check. Um, uh, this would be, did, 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 I believe the, um, I believe the 73 war. Um, so Yom Kippur war, um, they, uh, threatened, or, or this was the threat and the U S ended up supplying them with, uh, aircraft at that point um, and a a number of aircraft and that, you know, again, so this isn't exactly an unprecedented thing for Israel to do is that threat of, you know, we are prepared to utilize nuclear weapons to protect our state. We have no implicit promise of no first strike. Um, and, and we're willing to do so. So that, that, that is, that is a real question. Um, and I think a lot of people shy away from it because it's such a, I guess, unthinkable thing. Um, but, you know, it's definitely something on the table.
2: And I, I think as well, there is another concern that Israel has with Iran getting nuclear weapons in that obviously we, we, we've seen over the last two or three years in particular, Iran is very good at using proxy forces to carry out its uh, ambitions and, and its aims um, outside of, of the national borders. And I think, obviously we we we've discussed several times over the last twelve months the fact that Iran is one of the single largest state sponsors of terrorism um whether it be through the likes of Hamas and hezbollah um i a, a part of me wonders if Israel's concern is also that you know Iran could potentially end up supplying you know <laughs> Weapons like the, the the Davy Crockett that uh, uh, that Doge has, has showed us a video of this evening, um, could could uh, Iran end up supplying that kind of a weapon to terrorists right on Israel's border? Um, and it, it's very and cheap second strike capability, isn't it? It is. <laughs> these it proxies, is. but you've got you've got a group of people incredibly willing to do immense damage to you know, the state of Israel and at the end of the day you need far less nuclear material to to build something of that size compared to a warhead you'd stick on a missile. You're also far more likely to get it smuggled close to the target, aren't you?
3: You don't even they don't even need like a fully you know like again a nuclear weapon. Just like a dirty bomb would mm. be
1: yeah, devastating. Exactly. Something something super something super super basic and crude.
2: And, 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 and Which has... I mean,
1: at that point isn't isn't too difficult to to smuggle. I mean, considering there's multiple ways that that you know they can smuggle weapons and
2: yeah, and 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 that that then sort of almost becomes an issue not just for Israel but for the wider world as well because mm-hmm. what was to stop those you know these these dirty bombs falling into the hands of other groups, for example, the Taliban or ISIS or, you know, any of the other groups who could potentially Well probably not and... probably not ISIS. Well
1: Well yeah, I mean... who was um was it I think it was the United Kingdom. Um they just arrested I think it was the last year they or last year the year before. They arrested a bunch of people and foiled a massive bomb plot that mm-hmm. was um planned by a Hezbollah member. Yes. In the United Kingdom. Yeah. So I mean that that kind of stuff absolutely would be would be a massive worry not only for not only for israel but for the rest of the world really
0: yeah and they they do have that nuclear material to um at least now construct a dirty bomb and you know they probably have nuclear waste products that they they definitely could construct some fairly nasty dirty bombs as well um and you know moving moving into the future we we really don't know the the risk of that at this point um I don't think they would distribute nuclear products to you know their subordinate organizations um, yet, or or not in the case of you know just in peacetime, but you know all all bets are off in, in the case of war, um, which again I think is is this risk that Israel is trying to balance and deal with, um, and and you know I, I can they will they no one no one really knows
1: well something else that's important to to mention um Nasrallah the the leader of uh Hezbollah he's mentioned multiple times that uh they don't even really need nuclear weapons as their their main target in any kind of um any kind of conflict with Israel would be to like go after their nuclear facilities and bomb those which in effect would be i mean just as dangerous or just as you know catastrophic as like a small scale nuclear attack Oh, absolutely. I you
0: know it's something that uh, Israel Radar talked about when he was on here, but um, the the acquisition of, you know, guided warheads and, and guided rockets for their um, forces for potential attacks on Israeli proper, um, they're acquiring more and more at this point. And that seriously affects the ability of the Israelis to uh, attack the war- attack the rockets themselves and deal with them. Um but, you know, at this point, that's that's all really a huge question that we don't really know the answer to. Yeah, I'm just looking over right now. I I think that was pretty much it for this week.
3: Um, Do you I, want to I, briefly I, touch on the uh, the kind of ISIS mini-resurgence in Northern Iraq? Just say a little bit about that. Oh, shoot. We completely missed over that, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it, it, there's uh, not a lot we can say about it, I don't think. I mean, it, I, I think I pretty much covered the the majority of it just then. But, yeah, there's there's been over the last, at least over the last couple of weeks, um, several high-profile attacks by ISIS in kind of the, the north of Iraq that has had a significant amount of casualties. Um, you know, with a lot of Peshmerga, uh, Kurdistan, Kurdistan's uh, security forces, Peshmerga, have been killed as well as civilians um, in a lot of, kind of smaller villages um, in the north of Iraq. So it, it, it seems that like ISIS are even in some instances, they're starting to kind of even look to kind of hold territory, hold small villages and towns um, again, which is concerning. Um, I believe the US conducted some airstrikes. So I think even the Iraqi Air Force have started to airstrikes again um, in northern Iraq. Um, but it's, yeah, it's uh, ISIS, you know, no matter how many politicians seem to kind of claim that they were defeated in Iraq and Syria, they might not be the, the power they once were, but they're definitely still a, a major, major threat, especially to, you know, just ordinary people living in, 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 small villages in rural Iraq. Yeah.
0: And a typhoon shot down a drone. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that as that that. well. Cue, cue, the 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 patriotic music.
1: That <laughs> <laughs> was like the the first quote unquote air to air combat since how long though?
3: Since since Falklands. Uh,
0: Falklands, yeah. So just saw Can years.
1: you can you really can you really consider air to air? It counts. Combat. It
0: counts. It counts as an Does air to air kill. Count? It counts first to <laughs> the typhoon really? platform. First since
1: <laughs> the Falklands. Oh, Fair enough. I mean, I guess somebody was controlling it, just not direct. Well, even yeah, they were directly controlling it. They just weren't
0: an air target. It. Fire fired the missile, and it killed another air target. That is an air-to-air kill. Yeah.
1: What about shooting on oh, a cruise
3: yeah, missile
2: without be an air-to-air kill? An ash... Yeah. What? Yeah. What about that? Huh? Well, in World War Two, the V V2... two, no, not V two, V one doodlebugs. They were regarded as as air to air kills if the pilots managed to shoot them down. So,
3: oh well, there you we go. I would argue uh, I mean, also... I'm I'm so, I'm satisfied. <laughs> you just
1: got to yeah, put a big old big old council. bold asterisk. Big old. Well, they the ones asterisk.
3: as well. Um, the the pilots tried to kind of knock them off course by kind of tipping them with their wings. Is that the same one? Or was that the V two? Uh,
0: no, no, that was the V one. Were weren't those meteor pilots who did that? Um, those those early meteors who were held back for home defense against V ones because they could actually catch up with them. That's there was
1: mindful. a lot of just like med- really, med- really med- <laughs> early early age cruise missile tech was super interesting. You have the uh, the V one flying bomb, and then there's also the um, the Japanese balloons uh, that they would launch that would float into the the West Coast. It would use the jet stream and float into. Floating the West Coast, the oh, very sorry, very, very Hang
3: on. earliest day. It looks like something might be happening right now in Iraq. I'm looking into it. Something might be oh, happening yes. as we speak. Oh, Let's have a quick look. We
2: right, and on that note, we will um, <laughs> we will wish everyone a Merry Christmas before it all kicks <laughs> off in front of us. And um, yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, this this is Merry like Christmas. A... Uh, Happy yeah, New Merry Year. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> This, this is obviously the last episode of the podcast for 2021. Um, we will be back in early January um, with the next episode, um, and we will be looking to round up Season 2 um, with a final guest in mid to late February. Um, if you haven't already, uh, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify um, and also Apple Podcasts, Audible, TuneIn, Stitcher and Deezer if you use those platforms. Um, so without further ado uh, thank you very much for listening um, this has been the Ocent Bunker podcast and we will see you for the next episode in the new year
0: bye